Praise the Lord. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18, and read our text. And as I said, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and follow along. If you don't, you can look at the overhead projector up above. God's up to something. Isaiah 43, verse 18 and verse 19. It says, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, by the way, that means the look. I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. I want you to know when's it going to spring forth. It says now. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? It's going to spring forth, but people are not going to even know that it's, it's happening. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. In the desert. I'm thinking about dinner, I guess. So the dessert. Hallelujah. <laughs> He'll even make a way for banana pudding if you need it. I am praying for that. <laughs> I got to put this in a little context for us before I get off and start preaching on it because if you don't understand the context of a scripture, then you don't really get the right meaning out of it. Too many preachers that get take off with something and people really don't understand what it's talking about. But Isaiah uh, was one of the greatest prophets of Israel. And uh, I guess we could do a study on the prophets one of these days. It would really help. But I, I studied a little bit about him just to kind of give you an idea of the surrounding uh, context here of what was going on. See, Isaiah's ministry only covered about 40 years of his life. But his visions and his prophecies covered almost 3,000 years into his future, or into our future. So his visions and his ministry and his prophecies are relevant to us today, even though he was only around for 40 years in his ministry. Now, during his ministry... The ten tribes, everybody knows that Israel uh, was a divided after they were 12 tribes, but they divided up and uh, became two different nations. There was ten tribes in the north that had a capital in Samaria, and then there was two tribes in the south uh, uh, that had their capital in Jerusalem. And during his ministry, the ten tribes of the north in Samaria had fallen to the Assyrian army. And uh, Jerusalem itself was, was under the threat of being attacked. So I want you to get the picture here. This Isaiah is preaching to Judah in Jerusalem. They're a former tribes, brothers and sisters that were all a part of the nation, had already fallen to the Assyrians. They had conquered them. And there was only two left. And the armies were surrounding them and getting ready to come down on them. Now, King Hezekiah happened to be king at the time, and, and in order to resist this, he had formed some alliances with 
some of the heathen kings which was against the advice of Isaiah. Because Isaiah's advice was, hey, just trust the Lord. God's up something here. That's basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but, but basically his attitude was, hey, if you put your trust in God, he's going to work everything out. All things work to the good of them that love the Lord. And he was trying to tell them, you don't have to go down here and make a pact with the devil in order to keep the enemy from attacking you, which is the devil. And a lot of churches, they do that. They end up, in order to have unity, they will combine their faith and all that and they end up with uh, some kind of homogenized uh, lemonade or something. And it's all watered down. But uh, he nevertheless did that. He was afraid. He felt like God wasn't going to be there for him. Like a lot of people are, a lot of saints, uh, when, it's, when it seems like the enemy's got you surrounded and everything is going against you and nothing seems to be going right uh, and it seems like God don't even uh, uh, love you anymore and he's abandoned you, amen, it, it makes a person tempted to go out and, and try to form some other alliance or, or try to, to, to make things happen on your own. We have a tendency to do that. But Isaiah's advice is uh, don't worry about the circumstances of what you see or feel. God's up to something. God's up to something. We don't know what he's doing, but God's not going to forsake you. Could you get that in your head, church? Doesn't matter what you go through, you need to hold on to one thing. God is not going to forsake you. He promised in his word that he would never forsake us nor leave us. And if things are going bad, I want you to know God's up to something. If things are going good, I want you to know God's up to something. If nothing's going on, God's still up to something. God's up to something because the devil's always up to something. One thing that encourages me, when everything seems to be looking bad, that's one thing that helps me is I know God's up to something. Doesn't matter what the devil's up to, I know God's up to something. And I know this one thing, the devil knows for sure that he's going to fail and end up in hell, and he don't get discouraged, so why should I when I know I'm going to be a winner? Amen. Hallelujah. Doesn't matter what the circumstance of what I see or feel, the Word of God is working mightily in me. Somebody say amen. Amen. God's up to something. Somebody say that. God's up to something. Now, when the Assyrian army had begun to camp out around Jerusalem, 185,000 of them, there was a lot of fear in there, a lot of worry. It didn't do them any good to have all these alliances with the heathen. So, therefore, Hezekiah went looking to Isaiah. Said, so what's your counsel? What's going to happen? Are we over? Is it, is it all over for us? I want you to notice what uh, Isaiah told him. And it's in Isaiah chapter 37, verse 33. You want to go there? Amen. Think about it when everything's looking down and depressed. Here's what Isaiah told him. He says, therefore, now there was 185,000 of your enemies breathing down your neck. Thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria. That's your problem, Hezekiah. Amen. So here, here's what God's got to say about your problem. 
And this can apply to you whatever your problem happens to be. Just uh, substitute uh, your problem for the king of Assyria in there. Thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. It's not going to happen. I don't care how close he is. I don't care how much noise he's making or how many soldiers he's got. It's not going to happen. Why not, Brother Stennett? Well, let's move down to verse 36. It says, Then the angel of the Lord went forth, and smote the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. That would be 185,000. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. God fought the battle, and the enemy lay dead. They never fired an arrow. They never came into the camp exactly according to the word of God. I want you to know while Hezekiah and everybody was fretting and worrying about everything and, and amen, just kind of trying to soothe and console one another, God was up to something. Oh, hallelujah. But we ain't got yet to where our text is. That happened before this. God saved them. I'm sure they were, had a testimony service how God killed the enemy that way. Amen. This, that's that's like where it was when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. God slew the Egyptian army and the horse and rider were cast into the sea and God delivered them that day. But see, that's not what our text is about. You see, like the song says, it's not over yet. You can shout. There can be times of shouting. But let me tell you something. God's still up to something. When you're shouting on your victory, I want you to know the next battle is coming. It's on its way. And I want you to know while you're still jumping up and down and praising God for what He's done for you, the devil's already working out your next defeat. But God's still up to something. God's still up to something. When you don't even know what's coming your way. Like the song says, you've got one more valley. You've got one more hill, one more trial, and one more tear. One more curve in life's road, maybe one more mile to go. You don't know for sure how many miles yet, Joe, but you know, amen, you got another one to go. Then you can lay down your heavy load when you get home. Amen. Now, here's the thing. Don't worry about it. Don't fret about it because God's up to something. Now, the Bible says where inequity abounds, the, that grace does that much more abound. So whatever the devil's up to, God's up to that plus. All right? He's, even, he's, he's ahead of the devil in every step. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. Just because you got through one trial, don't mean that you ain't going to have one tomorrow. And just because everything seems to be smooth sailing for now doesn't mean that the devil ain't going to try to knock you off your feet tomorrow. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all, according to Psalms 34, 19. Somebody say hallelujah. 
So now I'm getting down to our text. Amen. I talked about the defeat. God saved them from the Assyrians. But see, the Babylonians. The Babylonians was their next enemy. So the prophecy of our text doesn't deal with the threat of Assyria. It deals with the new threat of Babylon. See, Babylon would eventually carry them away captive. Judah also would fall. Jerusalem would fall and be sacked and laid waste. But the message of our text, if you remember, it says, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. What Isaiah is telling them, they're saying, well, God will deliver us just like he did at the, uh, when we come out of Egypt. Uh, God will deliver us just like he did when the Assyrians was coming down on us. But here's what the message from God says. Uh, Remember you not uh, the things, neither consider the things. Oh, he's saying, forget about it. It's not going to happen. Your deliverance ain't going to come that way. We tend to think God always moves the same way. His blessings are always the same way. And this is what I'm getting up to, church, the message for you today. We think that everything is just going to happen the same way all the time. God's going to deliver us, we're going to have an enemy, and we're going to come through and rejoice. But he said, uh, like the New York guy, forget about it. That ain't going to happen. He says something different is going to happen. God's up to something else. He's going to do something new. He's going to change it. He's going to deliver you, but it ain't going to be the way you were delivered before. Can you trust God to deliver you a new way? See, our, our testimonies are there to, to embolden our faith and strengthen us. But sometimes we expect God to deliver us the way he delivered Paul and Silas. Sometimes he doesn't break the chains. Sometimes the angel ain't there. Sometimes we've got to lay in an old jail somewhere and rot until we almost die. But let me tell you, God's still up to something. While oh, you're in the worst trial of your life, God's up to something. When Job was going through everything, God was up to something. Oh, hallelujah. He's going to do a new thing. See, Isaiah saw visions of their captivity. That's what he's telling them here. He saw them being taken captive by Babylon. He saw them returning after the, the years of the captivity and returning and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He saw this in a vision or in visions. Oh, but this prophecy don't just foretell about Israel returning to rebuild Jerusalem. No, this, go, he, this prophecy foretells even greater events that would occur in the future. The redemption of sinners by Jesus Christ. That was a new thing. It says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you know when he gave that uh, uh, promise to them? They were already under siege by the Assyrians. They were, that 185,000 was around them. And what the word of the Lord said, said there's this woman that's pregnant and before that baby gets to, to, to give up, a, a, it can be weaned, God's going to deliver you. 
And that's what he was saying. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That really happened back then. But it was also about something else that's going to happen. It was not about the deliverance from Assyria or the deliverance from the Babylonians. It's talking about the deliverance from sin. See, God was up to something. God's been up to something ever since the beginning. From the time that man first fell, God's been up to something. He's been working out our salvation. He's up to something. We don't always see it. He saw the cross. He saw the day of Pentecost. He saw the conversion of the Gentiles and the triumph of the church and the glory of the kingdom of God coming into being. He saw it all. That's what Isaiah is all about. It's about the end time as much as it was then. God was up to something through that whole 3,000 year span. Amen. That old Isaiah only had 40 years of a ministry, but he was talking about something that would occur over 3,000 years. A new thing. Now folks, I think you ought to be excited about one thing here tonight. I think you ought to be excited because... God's up to something. That ought to make you excited. But he, and he's doing a new thing. And, and that new thing is in process. It's in progress right now. God's working it out right now. In your mundane, boring life, when nothing's going on, when everything is working the same thing and it doesn't seem like anything's happening, God's still working it out. It's in process. And you are a part of that new thing. Right now. That is being worked out. He said now it's being worked out. God's working it out right now, Brother Jimmy. Right now it's going on in your life. A new thing is taking place right now in your life. Shall you know it? Will you be able to behold it? Can you see it? No, a lot of people, they just overlook it. You know, God's working it out even in the monotony of your boring life. Monotony is defined as a tedious and wearisome routine, dullness, where no changes, everything just stays the same. Now, tell me how many of you, you get up every morning and you do the same thing. You get up on the same side of bed. And let me tell you, the older you get, the more weary you get because you say, I've been doing this for years and years and years and nothing changes. Weariness, monotony, they call it a rut. But God's up to something when it doesn't look like anything new is happening. See, that's what a rut is. It means it's the same old, same old. Somebody say, how you doing? Same old, same old. I feel like, a, what's that Groundhog Day, was it? Where that guy got up every day and that movie where every day it was the same day. He kept reliving that same day over and over. Groundhog Day. Monotony can be a dangerous thing as far as church can, is concerned. It can destroy church attendance because people get tired of the same old, same old. Same old songs. 
Same old preacher, same old sister, same old light, same old fixtures, same old stuff. We come in here day in and day out. The reason a lot of people don't want to come is they want to find something different in their life. So they stay out of church. Monotony can be a dangerous thing for faithfulness and attendance. It invites complacency. That is, when everything's just kind of the same all the time, you're like, well, the devil ain't attacked us in a long time. Well, that's because he's getting bored with you too. Like a cat that plays with a mouse, and after a while, as long as that mouse is doing something, the cat's got some interest. He'll keep on patting it around a little bit. devil's the same way. As long as you're kicking and jumping up and down and shouting and going before the Lord and praying, he'll still keep batting you around. It's when you quit fighting. It's when everything gets to be boring to you and you just lay down and you say, well, same old, same old. The devil gets, uh, he just walks away and then he says, I ain't got, I already got them. They're already dead in the monotony of their life. They've quit shouting. They've quit praying. They've quit going to church. They've quit paying tithes. They've, they've quit having zeal. They've quit uh, visiting the sick. Monotony. Boredom. It's the reason a lot of young people leave the church because young people, they like an exciting thing. That's why Amanda's down here with all those young kids tonight. So why do you let her go down there, Brother Sinner? Because I know she's going to learn something. See, God's up something down here. God's working right here. But they don't see that. They think it's going on somewhere else. It's where the music is. It's where all the young people are gathered together. No, God's got a new thing going on right here. Shall you see it? Can you behold it? Hmm. A great obstacle to church leaders is boredom and monotony. Do you know what we do? We, we, it's, it's a challenge to us. We say we've got to change things. We've got to get new programs. They're losing interest. They don't want to come to church no more. So, man, I'm racking my brain. Instead of being praying and thanking God for what he's doing, amen, I'm saying, I say, what can I do to make people like church? Well, there ain't nothing I can do. If the blood of Jesus didn't make them like it, there ain't nothing I can do. There ain't no program I can come up with. If you're getting bored with Jesus, there ain't nothing I can do that's any better than what he did on Calvary. I can't sing you a pretty song. We can't compete. Though I try sometimes. Yeah, it's a distraction. Boredom causes the leaders of the church to get distracted because we're trying to find something to occupy everybody. You see, if you was really occupied, we'd have to be looking for you. We're so and so today. Oh, they're down at the hospital praying for somebody. Oh, they're over here in their prayer closet. You know the reason there's drama in uh, people's lives is because of boredom. 
You ever, you ever hear say, well, how come there's so much drama in the church today? Why has that person always got drama going on in their life? Every time you talk about it, it seems like they never get happy. They've got to make somebody mad. Why is drama going on? You see, the root cause of that is boredom, monotony, a rut. They need to do something. They need to manufacture an event that brings change to their life. Whether it's good change or bad change. They'll, they'll talk bad about you and get a fight going on or getting people talking about one another, stirring up trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but God's up to something. See, that's the problem. We think nothing's going on. We don't see it. Shall you behold it? Uh, shall you know it? Uh, it's going on right now, but you don't see it. God's up to something. The reason people... They need drama today. Now, I'll tell you why. Because we're used to watching television. Our generation, and I'd say even Vance's generation. You remember a time when there wasn't no television there, Vance? What did y'all do to occupy yourself back then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd probably read a book or whatever. But anyway, we, we have raised, uh, people have come up around a, uh, an attitude of we're always watching television. We're reading stories. We're, we're imagining things. And, and what it is, that's what we're looking at is drama. Soap operas. Even a, a football game, it's drama. Football games, that's drama. Sports. All the stuff that we do to change our mundane, boring life is drama. Now, we have come to, a, to believe and feel that we have to have this drama in our life. Otherwise, our, we're not happy. Now, let me explain that. I've got some charts here that might help you understand it. Can you all see that? Let's see here. I've got a pointer, just in case you don't see that pointer. Where's my laser beam? That right there says ec ecstasy. Do you know what that is? Well, that's what a drug is, but I tell you what, that is super jumping up and down shouting happiness. That means you're so high on life that you're just excited. You're just so full of joy. Hey, man, you're at the peak like if you just won the big super lottery, and let's say you won $554 million. For that moment, you would be in ecstasy. You would be at the peak of happiness. Now, immediately prior to that, you were right here. On that line, that's normal. That's the normal life. You know what that line represents? Monotony. Boredom, a rut. Everyday, ordinary life. And I tell you, most church folks, where are they living at right here? You know why? Because God's taking care of their needs. Amen. He's brought them everything they need and they're feeling good and comfortable. Amen. Why do I need anything else? But since nothing's changing, 
since everything stays the same, then the normal, no matter how happy you are, the normal always stays the same. Right? Everybody follow me so far, right? Not over anybody's head. Now down here is misery. That's the lowest you can possibly be. All right? Now let's go to our next slide. This is a story. How many of you have heard about Cinderella? All right, now, see, Cinderella is the same story. It's lived out in everybody's life. Day in, day out. We have Cinderella's happening all the time. It's just a different story. Now, what happens is we start out down here. We're with the evil sisters, the stepsisters, right down there, right down in misery. Isn't that where Cinderella starts out in her story? She's down there. I mean, they, you couldn't get much lower. And then she gets, all of a sudden, gets invited to the ball. And she starts making clothes. Boy, she just, all of a sudden, her happiness level goes up. You following me? So she's all just happy. I'm making my clothes for the ball. Amen. That's like going to the prom there, ain't it, Savannah? You, you, you got something to look forward to. See, before, she the only thing she had to look forward to is maybe cleaning the toenails off one of her ugly stepsisters. See, God lifts us up way up here. We ought to be shouting. We ought to be happy. Amen. We're living there all the time. If heaven was here now, you would be bored to death without drama. Because it's happy all the time. But if happy all the time is the way it is and there's no change, then that's normal. Isn't it? This right here is normal in heaven. But there's a lot of us churchgoers, if we spend a couple of weeks in heaven, we'll be bored to death. Come on, somebody say amen, because that's exactly what happened. Once we got everything figured out, I don't know, maybe it'll take me a few million years to figure everything out. I don't know, but after a while, everything would be boring. Because we don't see what God's up to. When you, when you know what God's up to, every day is exciting. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me get back to Cinderella. She's right here, made her clothes. And all of a sudden, one night, some mouse on a pumpkin comes rolling in and turns it into a, a carriage, and the, the fairy godmother poofed and did her magic wand stuff, and, and she went to, to the ball and jumped away up here. Best thing ever happened in her life. It's drama. Drama is what changed her situation from here and brought it to here and up here. But now what happened? She didn't stay there. See? If she did, she would have gotten bored with it. She would have run off and left that prince for another man. I mean, people get that. You say, why God? Why? You know, I look here at that... Uh, 
that fellow over here that run for president, I've never forgot his name there having his trial there, and you say, why in the world did he run off with that from his pretty wife and go with that thing for her? She's bored with her. All right, so Cinderella's up there, and all of a sudden, what time was it? 12 o'clock. It starts hitting, and oh no, she has to go, and she falls way down here. She gets back to her life, and she's living the same awful life, but it's not as bad as it was before because she has a great experience to remember. That's what the Bible says, forget about things before. See, Pentecostals, we're used to living from high to high. And when things go back to normal, the status quo, we think God's not working. We think God ain't moving in our lives. But he's doing a new thing. He's still working something out. Shall you know it? You can't see it, but it's going on. Now, what was going on in her life? While she's down here, the prince is out looking for her. She lost her shoe. Sometimes you say, I ain't got no shoes. That's all right. God might be having a blessing on the way. He might be trying to bless him to make sure it fits you. Now, all of a sudden, the prince comes in with that shoe and tries it on the ugly stepsisters, and then comes the Cinderella. And then he goes up there, and she went right off the chart. Prince finds her, and they live happily ever after. That's drama. This is the kind of life that the world has taught us we ought to have. Ups and downs. Not little ups and downs. Extremes. Extreme highs and extreme lows. That's why you got so many people depressed in the world today. They don't know God's up to something in their life. See, they, they've got to do things. They've got to duplicate this in their life. And most people, when they're looking at it, and when you're at a low, they figure God's not blessing. And they figure when you're in high, God's really blessing. But folks, let me tell you where God is. He's not in the shout. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the ball of fire. He's in a still, small voice. He's in the saint of God that gets up every day and says, Bless the Lord. This is a day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it because I know God's up to something. And then goes about their boring existence. Doing the same old, same old every day. Let me show you where normal life really is. This is normal life. Normal life for the average person has got a few ups and downs, but they're not major things. Come in off of a Monday morning, every Monday, I say, how's your weekend? Well, I mowed the yard on the weekend. Got some things done. Well, that's good for you. Now, I could come in and say, well, I just saved the world. I fed the world. I mean, I... <laughs> See, we're looking for all these high points. Even a low point is drama. People manufacture drama so that they can get a low 
But then when they come back to normal, they're feeling better than they did before they manufactured it. Some people, they actually live on drama. I know you can say amen because you know it. You've seen it in your life. You've seen it in this church. The message I'm trying to tell us and get us in our heart is consistency. God is looking for faithfulness. Consistency.